Hey guys, welcome back to the Far Better Podcast. I am your host, Michael Clark, and we are on a road trip together this season. In the first three weeks, we covered the caution road sign. Then after that, we covered the yellow light sign. And for the last two episodes, we've been covering the one-way sign. Today, we bring that sign to a close with some text takeaways. And so as we think about Paul saying that one way was better, Peter saying that one way was better, we want to now come to the understanding of bringing all of that to a head, so to speak. Number one, in the first century, Christians went daily to the temple. Those from Pentecost went daily into the temple seeking people that they could convert. And the question that we asked the last couple of weeks is, does it really matter? Does it matter if we are in a position that says one church is as good as another? Does it matter if I go here and you go there? If it didn't matter for them to be worshiping under an old law, if it didn't matter for them to be continuing in Old Testament worship, which is what it was, it's what we'd have to call it, why did they go daily to the temple seeking people that they could study and convert? You know, if it doesn't matter, there's no need to do that. They can do their thing. They can do their own. And everybody's happy. But the problem is not that what they were doing itself was sinful just because they were following something a different way than they were. What made it sinful was that it wasn't the right law. And if it had been the right law, then there would have been nothing wrong with it. For example, if you and I were to think about how you do dinner at your house, what time dinner is, what types of food your family eats, maybe places that you frequent and go and eat at a restaurant versus eating at home or any other number of things, your answers are probably going to be very different from many others that could also take that survey. Your answers are going to be looked at by some people as, "Mm, I wouldn't do it that way. For example, there are some people that eat dinner at 6.30 in the evening. If you're one of those people, I'm sorry to, to be kind of picking on you here, but we don't do that in my house, all right? My, my wife's a nurse, and I am, of course, a recruiter for the Memphis School of Preaching. I'm, I'm traveling sometimes. I'm working late some days, and maybe we both get home and she didn't get off till seven. So at the very least, we're not eating till at least 7 30, 8 o'clock. What happens when she runs late at the hospital? And that does happen. Happened a lot more frequently back in 2020. But what happens when she runs late? Well, somebody's got to make dinner, right? Somebody's got to have dinner available for our family. Daddy works too. So how do my kids have food on the table? Somebody's got to find time to cook. That doesn't mean that they're not fed, but it certainly means that we don't have a lot of home-cooked meals in our house from scratch. There are times where we're able to do that together, and it's an enjoyable experience getting to cook with her. But a lot of times, I'm throwing something in the oven, putting it on 350 to 400 something, and setting a timer, and I'm counting it down until it's time to take it out, check it again, put it back in. 
Or there are times where maybe she's on her way home and she says, what are we doing for dinner? And I, I simply say, hey, what can you grab on the way home? We'll eat that tonight. I can almost guarantee you that there are several people that will listen to this, that that is nowhere near how you do it. And is anybody going to come after you and say, you don't eat dinner like we eat dinner and therefore you're wrong? No, because it doesn't matter. And if it didn't matter how these people were worshiping, they wouldn't have even had a need to go to the temple to find them. And furthermore, as we mentioned when we talked about Paul saying that one way was better, if it didn't matter for people to worship under the Old Testament and the ways that it would require people to do, that's what Paul was saying. If you're going to take circumcision, you got to take the whole law. Why did Galatia have, a, have an entire letter written to them begging for them to come out of that practice? They went to the synagogue. They went to the temple. They went to the places where they could find people that were like-minded on a lot of the issues that were there. And they just wanted to see, can we get to a little bit more? Can we get to a little bit further? They didn't just go to the synagogue, though. They went from house to house. They looked for people in the community. Those who would probably not have always been of the same mindset. As far as I can tell, in my own personal studies, and I might have missed some, so you feel free to reach out to us at the Scattered Abroad Network at gmail.com and, and let me know. But as far as I can tell, there were at least four types of people from a spiritual standpoint. You had the complete and total atheist, people who wouldn't believe that there was a God, they didn't believe in a higher power, they just, for lack of a better understanding of all that they had seen and heard and witnessed even at times, they just denied that there was such a being as an almighty creator. But you, then you have the pagans. And the pagans are people who, they believed in gods, but they believed in little gods, gods that were more made up because that's what they were. They weren't actual gods. They might worship the god of this or the god of that. And Paul said to the men of Athens that they even had a subscription or superscription to the unknown god, just in case they missed somebody. So you had the pagans, secondly. Third, you had the Jewish people, the people who would follow after the Old Testament law, follow after what it had required for them to do and how they had to live and obey. The final group would be Christians. That was how it seemed to be in the first century church in Acts chapter 2. We quickly got away from that, though, and there were people who began to teach things that weren't, weren't accurate. They weren't truthful. These Christians went house to house seeking the pagan, the atheist, the Jewish, trying to find a way to make them Christian. What was their goal in all of that? To find out who all was going a different way and keep track of that so that they could say, look how tolerant we are. We're all going different ways but heading to the same direction. No, that wasn't their goal. Their goal was to get them to be of the same mind. First century Christians went daily to the temple. Those from Pentecost, that's what they did. The apostles also did this. They had the privilege to preach and teach. And how incredible is it that the apostles were 
able to proclaim the word of God to some of the most powerful people on earth. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John stood before the council. That included the high priest in Acts 4 and verse 6. What an honor to be able to stand in the presence of somebody who would be considered by so many of that day a public figure almost. With that privilege came great expectations and responsibility. I'm a big Spider-Man fan. Uh, in fact, if you ever have been in my office, you've seen my my quote-unquote makeshift shrine to Spider-Man. He's always been my favorite superhero. And that line, with great power comes great responsibility, is just so apt for Christians to even think about. Think of the influences that you have in your life. People that you know that others don't. People that you have an opportunity to reach out to that no one ever else will in the gospel. And then tell me why you're not or why I'm not. They're given an opportunity to teach these powerful people, and the power that the men had didn't deter the apostles from proclaiming what they'd seen and heard, Acts 4.20. And though Paul himself would arrive on the scene later, he was able to show the correct path to powerful people as well. He appealed to Caesar, Acts 25, verses 9 through 12. He preached himself to Felix, Festus, Agrippa, in Acts 24, 1 through chapter 26 and verse 32. And he had a simple purpose in all of those, and that was to get them to be added to the Lord's body. And he went to the synagogue regularly, just like those from Pentecost, trying to find anyone who would listen to the message. And in fact, the Bible throughout the book of Acts tells me on multiple occasions that when Paul would arrive at a city, the first thing that he did was go to the synagogue. Acts 13, 14, chapter 14 and verse 1, 17, verses 10 and 17, chapter 18, verses 4, 7, and 19, and verse 16, and chapter 19 and verse 8, Paul put his money where his mouth was. He did exactly what the first century Christians were known to do, and he made a difference in doing so. First century Christians went to others that were of different beliefs. I'll say it again because it's so important. First century Christians went to others who were of different beliefs, all in the hope that they would be of one mind. That's 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 10. That there be no divisions among us, that we be united. Number two, if other churches were acceptable in this time, those under a different gospel would have been fine, would have been fine. Yet Peter and the eleven commanded those on Pentecost to leave their way and follow God's way. This message that was preached by Peter and the eleven was all about Christ. Would he have wanted the disciples to promote something that was harmful? Would it have been wise or even prudent for him to say, I want you to promote unity when division was okay. And yet Paul also told those in the southern churches of Galatia to return to the true gospel instead of a different, quote-unquote, gospel. 
nothing would please me more in life than being able to say it doesn't matter. Nothing would make me happier for people that I know are overall great people. They believe in God. They believe that the Bible is His Word. They believe, they believe, they believe. Somewhere along the line, when we begin to have a conversation, we inevitably find things that the Bible doesn't teach or that they believe that I don't because of what the Scriptures teach or that they struggle with when I say, here's what I believe the Bible means when it says this. I've never heard it that way, and I would love nothing more than to be able to say, don't worry. You're okay. But I can't do that if Paul himself told the churches in Galatia, return to the true gospel. If he told them that they had a responsibility, a responsibility to turn back to the correct path. They could not continue to live in sin by being separated from the correct law. And so what a blessing that in a world of religious confusion, Jesus provides a singular entity, the church, that would last for all eternity, Daniel 2, Joel 2, Isaiah 2, and Acts 2. There is one body, Ephesians 4.4, and that body is the church of Christ, chapter 1, verses 22 through 23. It stands alone and is set apart from every other religion that has ever or will ever exist. And though we're doing this a little out of order, in this particular road sign that we're looking at, the one-way sign, I want us to talk about what it means at the end of this particular episode. One-way signs tell drivers that the traffic on a street is traveling in one direction only. You can only travel in the direction of the arrow. Facing traffic the wrong way could obviously result in a head-on collision. And a one-way sign is a regulatory sign. It gives a command, sets limits, and controls traffic. And if you see a one-way sign while you're driving, you have to be aware that you can only make a turn in the direction of the arrow, and you must travel only in the direction of that arrow. How incredible is it How incredible is it that we were given a one-way sign all throughout Scripture and we're only allowed to travel in the direction that that arrow points. Thus concludes probably one of our more difficult episodes to record Not because it's not true, but because there's so much division on this topic. We've kicked off a new month this week at the Scattered Abroad Network, March. Next week, on March the 8th, we'll be looking at the carpool lane and how that can be applied biblically to our lives. But until then, let's please God now so our eternity can be far better. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on the Scattered Abroad Network. 
We are grateful for your continued support as well as your continued prayers. If you would like to find out more about our network, please visit our website at scatteredabroad.org. We look forward to studying with you again soon. May God bless you.